Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. And as you all know, you all know that I love to talk about mindfulness and meditation. And my next guest is going to, in fact, we should have started taping minutes before because we already <laughs> got into deep dialogue. And of, speaking of being mindful, my cat has decided to empty everything out of my garbage can next to me. So... With that being said, my guest today is Paul Ross. He's an author, speaker, trainer, master hypnotist, which we'll talk a lot about because that is my, one of my new favorite things, master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. And for the past 30 years, he's taught tens of thousands of people the power of language to persuade, to sell, to heal, turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones, and pain into passion. His speeches and trainings have motivated audience around the world to discover their power to design their own results. And we know that our minds and our words do create reality. So thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. Yeah, I know it's going to be a great episode. We should have taped our pre-talk. That was really good stuff. I know. It was like we'd known each other forever the moment we got on. And uh, I think we're now connected for life regardless. Simpatico. I'm, I love coming back on. So maybe in a few months. Yes. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to talk to you about uh, being in our um, in the uh, meditation room of our app too. So yeah, you're sure. now that you're hooked in with me, you're you're stuck for life. You can't get rid um, of me. It's my it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, I gave just a brief intro, but why don't you give yourselves a you know give yourself a little bit better introduction than I gave you, and tell us a little bit about you, your your business, your practice of meditation. Sure. So I oddly enough was brought to all of this stuff, all the self-improvement disciplines, all the disciplines of cultivating consciousness in myself and others through a history of being socially awkward. And I was the guy who couldn't get a date, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I was not always the handsome, charming, uh, hottie, as my girlfriend would say, that you see broadcasting before you. I was someone who was very stuck and very filled with envy and rage and agitation and resentment, mm. both towards the men I saw and women. And so I went on a search to try to both heal myself from my pain and also develop some social skills. And mm. I tried all sorts of things, therapy, prayer, you name it, I tried it. Mm-hmm. Then I stumbled onto neuro-linguistic programming. There's a lot of different definitions of NLP, but for me, it comes down to two things. One is looking at people who have profound talent, breaking out the structure of that talent, 
and then getting their results or close to it and progressively taking out as many pieces as you can so you get the simplest amount to get to the quickest result. That's the first thing. But the second thing is NLP has a model for doing hypnosis and for speaking to others in a way that's very laden with suggestions so you can structure right. states of consciousness in them. And through all of this, I learned to get over my shyness and I learned to communicate in ways that were very attractive. And I got my first girlfriend and I thought, wow, this is amazing. So I spent <laughs> about 20 years just teaching NLP to very lonely guys. I know this is not in my biography. That's because the story is much more interesting when I bring it up. <laughs> And I found that NLP is great and hypnosis is great. I taught myself hypnosis. Well, I had some mentors, so it's not entirely accurate to say I taught myself. What I found is as powerful as these modalities were, they helped handle the suffering in a small s. They addressed the small s's of life, like loneliness, having poor social skills, being broke. But they didn't handle the big s, the suffering that is interwoven in human life, the suffering of impermanence, the suffering of grasping and aversion, mm -hmm. the suffering that Buddhism talks about, they really didn't help me handle that. It was only when I f first started practicing meditation that I began to see and experience impermanence directly. And I experienced in between those moments of expansion and contraction, I had micro hits of a peace that goes beyond human understanding. I am not a religious person. I don't believe. And if you are, I respect that. Anyone listening or watching this, I, I'm not here to knock anybody. But I had an experience, a direct experience of what the Bible talks about, a peace that goes beyond human understanding. I'm not going to wrap any theology around it. I just want the direct experience. And I found that through meditation, I could also work with my most stuck clients where hypnosis or NLP just wasn't working. And I think I'm going to shut up now and let you uh, ask me questions. <laughs> I'm just fascinated. I'm just listening. I'm like, there's so much to learn here. So many pieces. Um, as I'm taking notes, number one, I was thinking about um, how correct. I never really thought about it. I've never really thought about it from an NLP kind of um, perspective. But I know that uh, the way I've always used my voice, I just did it naturally. And I always thought it was part of um, how I acted, you know, I, like I did acting, but you convey different emotions by how you, how you say things. And my whole, my family and friends all make fun of me uh, with my, what they call my podcast voice. I mean, they, they give me, you know, grief about it, but they're like, all of a sudden you're like, hello, and thank you for joining me on another mm -hmm. episode. <laughs> Coming at you, WNBC in the middle. <laughs> It's like, welcome to the evening show, you know, <laughs> but it's, great. it's part of, it's part of the mental um, process of this show. Now I speak differently on a stage in front of, you know, a thousand people, but, um, but I knew, noticed when I was leading large groups of people and I was responsible for hundreds and hundreds of people, I didn't realize I was doing this, but when I would, when I would have to deliver serious news to someone, you know, like their performance or you know, uh, you know, maybe a, a job layoff or something that I get very. Uh, I move in closer. My voice gets softer. Yes. But I'm. It's not. It's not quiet. But it forces you to lean in, because I think somewhere with me that you know, as you get physically closer and your voice changes, you're conveying I care or this is serious right. or this is 
something that I want you to pay attention to. And I didn't realize it until somebody said to me, oh, you're using your low voice. What's coming? This is bad news. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Well, first of all, I congratulate you on what we call an NLP requisite variety. And it simply means the system that is the most element of the system that's the most flexible is the one that will exert the control over the system. I don't mean control in a bad way. Let's just say right. the most influence, which they stole from, not stole, NLP borrowed that from cybernetics, which is the creation of a guy named Norbert Wiener, who, um, yeah, that's his name, Wiener. And he created, he was the first one really to create the first computer of the, Oh, yeah, so I yeah. congratulate you on, on your requisite variety and good for you. That's power. Oh, and that you. also, that's one of the skill sets I've taught men is to modulate their voice and don't talk in a monotone and blah, blah, blah. And don't talk up here from your nose and <laughs> to learn to modulate. When you listen to my voice, I've been told I could read from the phone book. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I won't try that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so good. I congratulate you on that. But if I could, let me create a bridge here in my story about yes. meditation. So I enjoyed my meditation practice, but I didn't really get it until my mother passed on. Now, my mother was my probably my greatest teacher. And I, to this day, love my mother and my father, who are both gone very much. It was my first experience of death. I had never experienced that loss before. And I was in absolute shock. I remember the grief made me stupid for a few months. I literally couldn't think. It just made me stupid. I couldn't think straight. But when she died, I was in so much pain. I remember just not being able to get, I couldn't sit to meditate. I was in so much pain. I had to lay down. Mm -hmm. I remember doing an exercise that my teacher Shinzen taught me to just let the emotions, don't resist the emotions. Don't tell yourself a story. Just feel the raw emotions. Watch them get bigger. Watch them get smaller. Pay attention to the border where the emotion fades away. And after about 30 minutes of this, I'm not exaggerating, the pain turned into, the suffering turned into pain. It was just pain without suffering. And then the pain broke up into little subtle waves of bliss. Subtle. I wasn't like mm. lifted onto a cloud, but it was subtle. A beautiful, mm -hmm. sorrow, sweet, sorrow-laden bliss is the only way I can poetically describe it. Mm -hmm. And I also paid attention as it faded away to my neurology's desire to grasp onto it. I let go of the grasping. And because I let go of the grasping, it became more satisfying. So don't get me wrong. I grieved and grieved and grieved, but I didn't suffer. I was able to function. It mm -hmm. took me from being a suffering, shut down mess to a grieving person who had the sorrow, but it wasn't defined as who I am. And right. one of the things I want to say is, as a healer and a teacher, I, I know someone can come to me who's afraid of spiders. And I do an NLP phobia cure, and they're no longer afraid of spiders. That's an incremental change. But NLP doesn't teach you how to develop that state of consciousness where you're no longer looking through your patterns, but you're looking at them. Yeah. That only can come, and maybe I'm wrong. Anytime someone speaks about what's possible or not, they're describing the limits of their model. Yeah. That's a quote, <laughs> True. a quote from me. So maybe it's possible to do it another way, but I haven't found any other way than, than to meditate, 
And it's also changed my definition of what it means to be a human in the world. When I really suffer, I can go into that aspect of self. Shinzen, my teacher quoted a famous Zen saying that basically translates that every human being has within them that aspect that has no fixed position. Every human contains within them that aspect that has no fixed position. Being able to drop into that place where the world is completely fluid, where we are all process rather than, and the distinction between world and self momentarily vanishes. I'm not talking about being a guru living on a hill. Mm -hmm. I don't know that right. anyone can get there, whether it's even a good thing because gurus inevitably become corrupt because the power exchange is not flowing both ways. But it is possible to have micro hits of that experience. And even the micro hits are very comforting. Mm -hmm. I can, I jabber, can see jabber, that. Jabber, jabber, I, I jabber, jabber, jabber. Usually I'm constantly jumping in. I'm just listening to you fascinated. It's like, I, I don't know. I'm just uh, absorbing it all. It must be the way you speak. <laughs> Could um. I was thinking when you were talking about that. So I do, um, I listen to uh, hypnosis uh, app um, for, you know, part of my meditation and mindfulness practice. Which one is it? And uh, with Glenn Harold. Not familiar, but I'll look into it. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Um, in fact, I interviewed him for my podcast. He's uh, He's got an app that's got like 3 million users. Um, and I've really found, and I had never done, well, no, I take that back. I actually did hypnosis at a younger point. I'll tell you that, that in, a, in a minute. But um, I am now to the point where uh, when I'm within the first like three minutes of whatever session I'm doing of his, that I feel uh, I've gotten myself where I, I, I kind of created this as my, you know, I don't know, wherever my mindset of it, but it, it just works really well for me. And I know that I'm on my first level of going into trance when I feel like I'm floating in the ocean um, on my back and that I'm not worried about anything swimming under me. I'm not worried about the waves crashing over me. I'm not worried about getting dragged out to sea. I'm just floating. And that sense of kind of weightlessness. And whenever I know that I'm there, I know that I am you know, I'm fully relaxing. I'm like, I'm giving in to, you know, where we're going on, on that meditation. And, and that's been a real joy. I think I've only, I mean, I've been doing his, uh, his app for, I think since February, Mar January or February. Now, if you want a little demonstration of hypnotic language, I would just say, I invite you to naturally and easily notice as you listen to the sound of my voice to recognize that I can't be the one to say, with each beat of your heart and each breath you take. Just how much of that sense of floating where you don't have to worry because there's nothing beneath you and nothing on top of you can almost slightly begin to experience it now. With me, as that's taking place, it feels so good. And as we begin to continue to speak together throughout the rest of the podcast, I can't be the one to say, and I don't know all the ways in which you'll continue to experience that. Anyway, that's some hypnotic language. <laughs> wow, I like that. This is a great podcast episode. I know. I love so doing relaxed. it. <laughs> I love it. And that's, you're right. It's, it's just about um, the words and the tone of the words can, can take so much off your brain and out of your, you know, psyche and just let you be. I agree. I do. When I was um, 
when I was little, I had a really tough time falling asleep. Uh, well, obviously something that I had dealt with all my life, but I used to drive my parents crazy because, you know, they'd be fast asleep and I'd, you know, come in their bedroom and I'd walk around, I'd look right over my mom until she'd wake up and you know, I'd scare her to death. She's like, what are you doing? I can't sleep. She's like, well, I was sleeping, go back and try. Well, somewhere around when I was eight or nine, I think they bought me um, a set of tapes and I didn't know they were hypnosis tapes then. I don't know if they knew that they were, but it was, you know, this really nice soothing voice and they'd play it when I'd go to sleep. And the man on the thing would tell me, you know, imagine your fingers and your toes and imagine they're very relaxed. And then he'd count down from 10. And now the relaxation goes up your fingers and through your toes and to your knuckles. And, you know, and now I look back and go, wow, that was pretty good of my parents to do that. And I listened to those until, you know, the tape was destroyed, you know, <laughs> in and out of the- For the you know, younger audience out there, there used to be these things called tapes where yeah. they actually had the, the, Cassette tape. the younger generation it's all digital. <laughs> so then how long, so you have this practice. Oh, total side note question. You were talking about teaching the men you work with not to speak nasally. So I've been a, you know, I was a singer and every time I would go to a competition and sing, they would tell me to stop singing through my nose. And right. for the life of me, I've never been able to figure out how to not oh, sing through my nose. Yeah. It's just, I, I talk that way. I sing that way. I have no idea. You don't idea sound how to nasally to me. You don't sound I have worked really nasally. hard when I do, when I'm taping things to try and have, uh, be as open as I can so that I'm not letting it go up into my yeah. nose. But sometimes when I'm like in, on a really big stage and I have to project louder, I can, I can hear it come across. And definitely if I was singing karaoke right now, you'd know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So with your practice, though, with, with uh, you know, working with people to use, you know, their language differently, what, uh, you know, what makes people, I don't know, do they, do they embrace it fully right away? Do they have no, it No, there's a lot of, anytime you're dealing with people who are in pain, you, you have to, first of all, I teach with a lot of humor. Humor is an incredible antidote to a closed mind because you can't laugh with a closed mind. Humor will temporarily make new neural pathways connect. So I teach with a lot of humor and then I demonstrate that I understand their situation and then I provide counter examples. Back when I used to work with guys, and by the way, if you're listening and you still want some executive coach on this and you're willing to pay like five figures, I'll get you where you want to go, guys. So uh, it's a very much of a side business. Language, I'll put it to you this way. I also teach them to get curious. Being mm -hmm. curious about other people, genuinely curious, not fake curiosity, but genuinely curious, allows them to feel a rapport in which they will open up on a different level. May I give you an example? Yes, please. So let's say we met in a social situation. We were both single and I'm not, I'm in love with a wonderful lady and you're <laughs> set. There's a difference. What's the difference between asking the question, what do you like to do for fun? And asking when you want to do something that makes you think, damn, life is so good. I want more of this. What do you love to do? Oh. That's a much better question. Much better. Now, how is it a much better question? Tell me more about that. In what way is it a much better question? And I love how you said, tell me more, because that's the name of my first book. Um, 
so it's a better question because first of all, it makes you think it, you, you, my first thought was, Ooh, you know, what are those that like I thought about when I jumped off a cliff in Peru, you know, which was crazy. Like, I don't, I still can't believe I did it. I was hang gliding and somebody was attached to me, but that if you would have asked me, what do I do for fun? I would never have answered that. Yeah. But the way you asked the question, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Like right. that was a day that when I was done with that, I could not stop smiling, could not, yeah. my face hurt at the end of the day. I smiled so yes. much. Yes. And so it evokes a much different part of your mind and a much greater sense of emotions. So that's the kind of, I, I don't want to get too much into what, what I used to teach. Uh, I, I still do executive coaching, but I screen people very carefully uh, mm-hmm. on that topic. And uh, yeah. Um, so I am a big advocate of, I, of making sure, not making sure, but encouraging people to practice mindfulness and meditation, because I think that besides the, the personal effects you have, I also think that it makes you more effective in your career or your sure. business. For sure. So, you know, but it's funny because, you know, when I'll tell people that they'll go, oh yeah, that's fine. Well, I've tried it. You know, it doesn't work for me, but you know, what do you think? What difference do you see it making in people's careers? Well, first and foremost, first and foremost, if they do it sufficiently, they can look at the thoughts that are arising and, and say, do I really want to, let me put it this way. I have heard over and over as have your audience you can always choose the meaning you give things. Well, in theory, that's true. But in reality, it's almost never the case because people don't have a practice to separate themselves from what they're thinking or feeling in that moment. They don't have a practice of emotional regulation. They don't have a practice of being able to objectively look at your thinking. They don't have a practice of creating that witness consciousness. I think there's witness consciousness there's creative consciousness where you tap into your unconscious resources or your higher self or visualizing. That's what's mainly taught. And then there's will consciousness where you hold your goal steady and you just keep going for it. Those mm-hmm. second and third things are taught, but the first thing is not. And yet the first thing is very vital, especially if you're going to make decisions in your business. How do you know they're not driven? by all sorts of unconscious needs to control other people. So it's, it's very, very powerful on multiple levels. Yeah, I agree. I never really thought about that. I was, I've been, um, I've been coaching someone doing some career coaching sessions with someone and, and I had to uh, ask her about, you know, uh, well, I always ask the question, if you're not in the room, what are people saying about you? What do you think they're saying about you? And, and, you know, it gets people pretty honest after a few answers, you know, starts off, well, they'll say that I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I get things done and they'll go from that. I'm like, what else are they saying until it's like, well, they think I'm this and I th- think I'm this. Okay. So what do you want them to think about you? And, and what are you subconsciously or consciously conveying that keeps them having descriptions of you that you don't want? Now, how do you change that? You know, you have to, you have an active responsibility in that, but it also means you have to think about those things that you just subconsciously do that are propagating a part of your persona that you don't want. And that's where NLP does come in usefully because NLP talks about uh, what we call analogs. Analogs are those things that vary a longer range. So digital is it's either on or off. Imagine a light switch. You flip on the switch, it's on. You flip it down it's off analogs are more like a dimmer switch you can make it brighter you can make it 
softer, that sort of thing. So a lot of what we convey to other people are our analogs, our facial expressions, the tempo of our voice, the volume of our voice, the amount of tension we're holding. This is a very interesting thing. People talk about rapport, rapport, rapport. I'm really tired about it. I think rapport has a danger. Let's say that you're carrying a lot of painful emotion and you're deeply in rapport with the other person. When you're deeply in rapport with the other person, they're going to feel what you feel, but they're not going to know why because they feel it unconsciously. So the more you have bad feelings, the less rapport you should get into. You need to actually balance your rapport with your state or otherwise you're going to convey something across that unconsciously that's going to screw up your message. Rapport times a balanced neutral state plus the use of language skills equals incredible power. But rapport times a crappy state <laughs> is real. Do you understand the dynamics? Should I explain it yeah. again for your audience or, or, or you get it? Tuning oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah I get it, but yeah. I, you can roll it again. I, I did it as no. you're talking through. I, no. It's almost like I can see it happening, you no. know, and I can, I've seen examples of it, of people I, people I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a contrarian. I take different, I, I've always taken a different view from things. My mother taught me as a young, very young child. She said, if most people believe something, they're probably stupid and wrong. So you think about it in a different way. <laughs> my mother was a Jewish mother and she had a wicked sense of humor and she did have a lot of contempt for people but only because they were stupid if she that's how she would describe it look I only don't like stupid people <laughs> well we got that message as children we got some dual messages one of which was we were I was never called stupid we were all encouraged I come from a big family I have five siblings one of which has passed on my sister my oldest sister but we were all encouraged to believe that we were super smart. We could learn to do anything, but there was also contempt for other people mixed in there and an unnecessary degree of competitive com, competitiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, that's what we were talking about right before we uh, started taping. <laughs> that sense of being competitive with other people and what that does to your own psyche. It's not real good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like though that, you know, the, the idea of your mom saying, you know, if everybody believes it, I don't know if it necessarily means they're wrong, but I do think the, the concept of being able to say, okay, just because everybody believes that, maybe that's really the time that I need to look at it from the other perspective. I just need to, just need to look the other side and see what's going You see, mom was a smart hypnotist in that she taught yeah. me through stories. Before she taught me that message implicitly, she told me the story of the emperor's new clothes. You know the story mm -hmm. of the emperor's new clothes. Yes. Uh -huh. The yeah. crazy emperor decided that his being naked was his new suit of clothes and he paraded yeah. through the town and if you insulted the emperor you were dead and one yeah. little kid yelled out the emperor is naked the emperor is naked he went against everybody yep. because he saw the innocence through a child's eyes and he wasn't afraid to combine his innocence with his courage right we don't know what happened to him in the story he was probably flayed alive <laughs> we probably. don't really know probably he never goes that far into the story does it Poor so kid. my mother used to say ah oh, the emperor has no clothes uh-huh yeah there I miss you go mom. i miss my uh, dad too yeah ah oh, i love it now when uh, i love asking this question because i know what i say to people but you know, when people say to me, all right, Michael, I love it. I know you're into mindfulness and meditation, but I've tried it. It just doesn't work for me. So their style probably it depends. It didn't work for me until I found my teacher. Everyone has a different style. Mm 
or they think that mindfulness means your mind has to be quiet. Meditation actually can agitate the mind. It's not that meditation is agitating the mind. That agitation is there anyway. You're just taking what my teacher would call the membrane between conscious and unconsciousness, and that membrane is becoming porous, so it'll come up to the surface. Meditation will often agitate you, but that's just an opportunity to sit with agitation and watch it expand and contract and fade away and re-arise again. Yeah, and that's not real comfortable. They have unrealistic expectations, or they're being given the model of the monk who sits there for hours and has no thought whatsoever. So uh, I, I think that's the problem. They have unrealistic expectations. They've been taught a model. And meditation, there's all kinds. There's mantra japa, which you know, it's constantly repeating a mantra. Hare oh, Krishna, okay. or om, 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 mm-hmm. om. That's good because it creates focus, but it doesn't give you insight into who you are. Yeah, that one doesn't work for me. Uh, there's... <laughs> what people call meditation, but it's relaxed visualization. I think that's more Mm -hmm. like hypnosis. There's Mm -hmm. a style that I've practiced, which is Vipassana, which is insight meditation, where you sit and you watch different things arise and you pay attention to different elements. For example, when I sit, I'll pay attention to my breathing. Then I'll pay attention to external sound. Then I'll pay attention to body sensations. And the most interesting thing is I pay attention to when they all unify into one stream of input. I call that unification. And I pay attention to when that all breaks apart. Mm. And unification and breaking apart, that brings peace. I experience a little bit of it just as I'm talking to you about it. Look, anything I learned about meditation, I'm cooking with my teacher's ingredients. His name is Shinzen, S-H-I-N-Z-E-N, Young, Y-O-U-N-G. The greatest teacher of my life besides my mother. I've had great teachers. I love it. I always tell people, you know, remember meditation is a practice. It's not a perfect, you know, so if you think it didn't work because, you know, you didn't get it right, meaning, oh, I had other thoughts, then, you know, you're kind of missing the boat. You need a really good teacher. And Shinsen is the greatest teacher in my life. Wonder I had I, not that he's my teacher, but he's my reminder. I have yoga dog in the back. He reminds me every day when I see him. Yoga too. dog. <laughs> I found him in a cheesy store, and I was like, I must have that. <laughs> Let me ask you because I want to. I'm I'm going to promote your book to my audience. What's the name of your book? Oh, wonderful! I book? have two of them. I have Tell Me More: How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and uh, Sales Mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow recipe for success. I wrote them, wrote them like stories. I'll send you the links. Uh, I would like to talk to you afterwards how I can get autographed copies. I'll reimburse you for them. Absolutely. Well, and I know, and we're actually nearing the end. I know we're going to have all your contact information on our show notes, but in case somebody wants to find you right now because they can't wait. I don't want it to be the end. (laughs) If they want to talk to me about anything, I I don't care what it is. I don't, I trust the power of my communication to allow people to recognize you do want to continue to talk to me. So if you want to continue to have a discussion with me about anything about this topic, or maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, Paul might be able to serve me in, in reaching my goals. It's simple. Just email me. I read every single email personally. I don't have assistants go through them and I, respond to everyone it's paul at speakerpaulross.com just shoot me an email and then i think you have my linkedin there it's speaker uh it's um 
speakerpaulross.com forward slash LinkedIn. And I also have my book, Subtle Words That there Sell. There we go. I love, oh, we know. Make sure you have your face showing. Your fingers are oh, over your face oh, there. Look at there that. There we go. Look at that handsome guy. It. It's amazing what a good I photographer can do. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, before we end today, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? I would say make friends with uncertainty and confusion. Let uncertainty and confusion be your your side-by-side -side companions. Walk hand in hand with them through life because uncertainty and confusion are really two of the main sources of human suffering. When instead of being something you push against, you can make them your friends and let them guide you, then you have a very subtle power with people because most people need absolute clarity and they need a guarantee before they walk into any situation. When you can walk into a situation and allow yourself to be somewhat confused and allow yourself to not need a guarantee. And there's one more thing, give other people radical permission to have their first response to you. Then even without language, and I believe in language powerfully, you become a subtly charismatic person and people will not be able to put their finger on what it is that makes you so magnetic. There's the kind of magnetism and charisma where you're a great speaker and you can draw people to you. I don't think that's necessary. You can have that stealth charisma that's based on that self-acceptance that's as a practice. And that's part of what I teach my male clients is to is we can't all be alphas and we shouldn't be for that matter. Right. Uh, anyone that's anyone can reach that and as you can imagine that can be effective in leading teams that could be effective in selling in your personal life. Maybe that's what you want to talk to me about. How can I consult with you and teach you to have that kind of stealth or subtle charisma and confidence? So again, if that interests you, email me, paul at speakerpaulross.com. I always respond to every email. I love the communication. And I want to take a second for to thank you for creating a genuine environment where I feel heard and we've had a deep discussion that's not on the surface level. You obviously or a fantastic leader and a, a, a deep thinker. That's a, I do so many of these podcasts where I'm <laughs> gritting my teeth and going, okay, I'll get my message across despite those. But you've created a space for me where it's been easy to do. And I really, uh, from my heart, you know, I appreciate you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.